Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books in Genocide Studies podcast, part of the New Books Network. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, I am in dialogue with Vitaly Oyenko. He is the editor of the new book, The Holodomor and the Origins of Soviet Man, reading the testimony of Anastasia Lisivets, published in Stuttgart by Ibadem Verlag 2022. He is a civil servant at the Ukrainian Institute of National Remembrance. Vitaly, it's an honor to be in dialogue with you today. Thank you, Eric, for inviting me. To begin, can you please tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up? What events in your life inspired the scholar you would become as an adult? Uh, my name is Vitaly Pohienko. I'm Ukrainian and uh, I'm a historian by training. I'm graduated uh, from Taras Shevchenko University, and uh, my PhD thesis was about Ukrainian national communists. These guys who tried to combine a sort of uh, nationalism and communism in uh, in one ideology, and uh, on, uh, on basis of this uh, ideology, wanted to create uh, some reality, but uh, it was a utopian idea. Uh, now I'm working at Ukrainian Institute of National Remembrance, and uh, my topic of interest: uh, Holodomor studies, genocide studies, memory studies, and trauma studies. Uh, maybe I should tell you a little about uh, my institution, Ukrainian Institute of uh, National Remembrance. It is government institution, and uh, our main task is uh, to deal with the communist legacy in Ukraine. I would tell that we are not very powerful institution. We uh, don't have influence on uh, legislation or don't have influence on uh, judicial system. That is our task is uh, to deal with this legacy, um, mainly using representation of the past. So our main uh, instrument, uh, museum exhibitions or uh, some, some books, they are publishing books actually. Uh, as I told you, my research area is Holodomor, but that's the Ukrainian famine that uh, uh, took place in 1932-33 in Soviet Union. But uh, I'm focused uh, not so on history of Holodomor, but on trauma of Holodomor. So my uh, general um, general research tool is trauma studies and different uh, approaches uh, within the trauma studies. What aspects of your writing process were most challenging for you? How did you handle these adversities? <clears throat> Maybe I should start from a uh, more uh, general topic. What I'm always keeping in mind doing my research work. I think that um, one of the problems in current world, this is a very general understanding and very general suggestion, but without them, it's, it would be difficult for you to understand my research. It's, I think that in current world, uh, sort of uh, too much uh, too much culture. Mm, but uh, mm, understood me clearly. I, I think uh, that... Uh, in current world, uh, too much artificial culture or culture detached or uh, not connected to the real experience. Or uh, in another word, uh, if we do not see this connection between real experience and cultural re representation, it can cause some problems. So my general task is to create and develop such method or clear understanding of how we can track uh, this process of uh, transformation or transmitting some experience or something from real experience uh, 
uh, on the ground to the uh, social and cultural representation. Or in other words, from mental representation to, uh, to uh, cultural representation. I'm, I'm not uh, going to develop some sort of theory, but my approach is to look at this problem uh, by means of some case study. And in my understanding, trauma, it is the best tool to approach this problem. Why? Because trauma is a very developed area, both in terms of cultural, cultural trauma studies and uh, uh, biological and psychological areas. Everyone knows about, for example, about PTSD. And Holodomor for me is a vehicle to, um, to deal with this problem of representation or how to better understand information from mental representation to cultural representation. That I'm going to look at this example, which I know very well from historical point of view, and to try uh, to develop this connection, this lie of reasoning. Uh, my research consists of three, uh, three stages. First of all, to look at the whole more uh, in victims' eyes, literally, then to look at Holodomor from social perspective and from cultural perspective. This book uh, marked uh, the end of uh, uh, the first research, uh, first uh, first stage. That is, in this book, uh, I looked at, at the Holodomor uh, in, uh, in victims' eyes. Uh, it's actually, it is book consists of two parts. This is my memoir, very powerful memoir by Anastasia Lisevets. And second, my commentary to uh, this uh, memoir. And, uh, uh, but actually it is uh, like a separate uh, research. And I use this opportunity to publish this book and uh, to share with with audience my research. But actually, uh, my research is about more, uh, even not conscious, but unconscious activity and unconscious feeling of people who, who suffered from starvation and who suffered from Holodomor. And for me, uh, challenge is to uh, build, uh, um, develop, develop uh, this method at the. Uh, how to look uh, at uh, at more experience uh, from perspective of victims? Because if you look at the current genocide studies, uh, possibly you would agree with me that um, it is uh, uh, they are based uh, on uh, it is it is uh, perpetrators activity plus uh, some uh, some. Uh, some experience of victims. I cannot say that current genocide studies uh, look at uh, the genocide as a process uh, from uh, from victims' perspective. And for me, it is problems problem. And uh, this research uh, is uh, is trying to to look at this experience uh, from perspective of a victim. What inspired you to prepare this book? What message do you hope to convey to readers? Uh, actually, it is my message that uh, uh, to see connection between real experience and cultural representation is uh, very useful. And uh, my book is trying to build such connections and uh, to share this connection with, uh, with academia. Uh, that is, it is my uh, main message. Second, my message that uh, currently, I think that uh, we understand that different there are different genocides and different traumas, but if we look at healing strategies of these different genocides, you would probably agree that there is no um, uh, no clear understanding what is what is different between these different. Uh, healing strategies. And my idea that, uh, that yes, really genocides are different, but healing strategies uh, can be different as well. And my uh, task uh, is to develop and to, to clear understand, um, mm. clear understand, first of all, experience of victims, and based on this experience to develop uh, some sort of healing strategies, unique healing strategies dealing especially with 
this experience. So my task is to develop a message of clear understanding and using this message to different genocide in order to develop special healing healing experience and let's say healing procedure or better understand representation of these different genocides in order to represent it in better and more uh, more more useful way. Can you summarize your book for us? Uh, as I told you, this book uh, uh, consists of two parts. Very powerful memory, uh, memoir uh, about uh, Holodomor. Actually, everything is there. Uh, you can read uh, there about uh, experience of starvation, about feelings of, pe- of people. It was read by Anastasia Lysavet at the time of World War. Uh, she was uh, 10 years old, but uh, she wrote uh, the book uh, 40 years after the World War. And uh, uh, there you can find something from uh, her experience as a child and something from uh, uh, from her experience as a uh, school teacher, because uh, she worked as school teacher in, in her uh, late fifties uh, when when she wrote uh, wrote the book. And second part is is uh, is my research, uh, uh, and uh, I told about my research a little before. What is unique about this book's treatment of the Holodomor? vis-a-vis other treatments. How is your book different from other books on this topic? Actually, it is uh, different because of my approach, because I think that uh, first, if we look uh, at trauma cases, at genocide cases, it is logical to look at it from the perspective of victims. Actually, from the perspective of body of uh, of victims because body uh, if we deal uh, about genocide uh, first uh, what is uh, what is at stake it's survival and uh, if in case of uh, survival the body is most important i think that is uh, at the first um, this part of research uh, uh, i'm studying uh, feeling of uh, uh, victims of Holodomor, uh, their behavior. Uh, and on uh, the second stage, I'm going to look at the signs of, uh, of from, from, from inside, from the first part, and to look some connections uh, between uh, uh, psychological experience of victims and uh, their next behavior social behavior and cultural representation uh, of Holodomor victims. How are children depicted in this book and memoir? How did children suffer differently from parents and adults? Actually, I think that uh, children experience in genocide is the most painful uh, experience and the most uh, current uh, part of, of of every story of genocide, because children are innocent, and uh, from Holodomor uh, died one one point seven millions of children. Uh, what uh, interesting else uh, that if compare suffering or experience of adult people and uh, children, uh, we will see that. Uh, in case of uh, adult people, of course, there is suffering, uh, but uh, and uh, and fight for 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 survival in uh, in different ways. But they are fully conscious people. Uh, they try to uh, to avoid death and they try to uh, to survive. Uh, but uh, it is sort of not only bio- biological experience of survival, but if we look at children' experience of survival, we will see that it is mostly biological survival. It is, I think, even much closer to to survival, like as, as 
from only biological perspective. Literally, uh, when uh, dealing with the survival of children, it is only about uh, the biological strength and, uh, and, and physical strength. It is really very painful to look at this battle for survival between children and uh, uh, in order to to survive, to gain food and uh, to prolong their life as possible, as long as possible. What does this book teach us about sadism? Uh, sadism? Probably I should start from my, uh, my approach to the experience of victims uh, during uh, the Holodomor. Actually, what unique uh, about Holodomor that uh, if we compare Holodomor with uh, uh, other genocide, for example, Holocaust, we will see that uh, other genocide, it is uh, um, probably more about uh, why fight and flight experience. It means that if we see some dangerous situation or we uh, find uh, themselves in a very dangerous situation, our usual response is um, to fold, to fight uh, the, en the enemy or uh, danger or flight from the danger. That is, we feel themselves very mobilized and very often mobilized uh, during one year, two year, or even more, uh, it uh, actually reminds the war that victims and perpetrators in the case of uh, of genocide or very dangerous situation uh, always very mobilized, and this is actually uh, fight uh, fight for fight for survival. <clears throat> yes, but in case of Holodomor, it is it is slightly different. Because uh, uh, besides of mobilization, mobilization both of victims and uh, um, and perpetrators. In case of Holodomor, we have a different uh, biological and psychological experience of immobilization. It means that <clears throat> if we don't have any resources at all to prolong our life as uh, uh, as in situation of famine, famine only a biological, uh, biologically determined way of surviving and prolonging, prolonging our life as possible, uh, as long as possible. It is the state of immobilization. Uh, if uh, the um, if we find uh, themselves in uh, in state of using. Uh, as uh, as little resources as possible, and we don't care about anything, about moral, uh, about uh, relations with uh, uh, with closest people. It is a state of ap apathy, apathy, and uh, it is definitely the case of Holodomor. Uh, during the Holodomor, uh, four million people died, and most. Uh, uh, of these people who died being in a state of immobilization, that uh, that uh, these people actually were ready to die, and uh, they, they clearly understand and felt that there is no way of, of out of this situation. And this is a unique case uh, of uh, of Holodomor and um, sadism. Uh, from perspective of Holodomor experience, at, it is uh, uh, it is uh, it is fight between uh, perpetrators and uh, and victims. Uh, of course, uh, they fought each other and were mobilized uh, very much. But what is difference between them that uh, perpetrators had. Uh, a channel of expressing their aggression. Uh, for example, they uh, were it was uh, it was possible, and uh, they were able to kill victims or uh, to do another pain for for victim. But for victim, it was impossible from to uh, um, to do uh, some harmful harmful uh, acts uh, to 
to perpetrator. That is, the aggression was sealed in in themselves. And from perspective of perpetrators, uh, Sadiq was caused by by uh, because they understand and saw that the victims were helpless, and besides that, understand that uh, they're helpless being in state of immobilization. And uh, that is, the sadism was uh, a special sadism according to people who were doomed to actually to die and were doomed to and were uh, immobilized. Uh, and it is, uh, it is why sadism in, uh, in Holodomor is, uh, is so, is so, uh, it's so strong and uh, very, very, very sadistic. Uh, How does this book advance our understanding of trauma? Actually, uh, my understanding of trauma that uh, I, I previously told a little about it, uh, that trauma, it is process uh, that is uh, going from biological experience and this uh, uh, my research uh, actually about this biological experience uh, uh, next to the social representation, social behavior, and cultural uh, cultural representation. And I think that at first stage, you should look at this biological experience and then look for signs or look, look for marks of uh, this biological experience in, in previous uh, um, uh, in uh, in next uh, life of, uh, of of victims of of survivors, uh, I think that um, maybe it would be better to illustrate on on some examples what I mean. Uh, uh, for example, there is Stahanovita movement in Serbia. What's the Stahanovita movement in Serbia? Stahanovits is the people who worked for the state, uh, for the government very hard, and uh, they were famous for their absolutely incredible record. Uh, the movement uh, is named after the name of Stahan. But um, uh, my question, where this movement uh, was originated? It was originated in Ukraine, especially in 1932-1933, but it was famine in Ukraine. And uh, at the time of uh, of Soviet Union, uh, when uh, to speak about famine and to write about famine was prohibited, mm -hmm. it it is uh, clear how uh, Soviet historians uh, wrote about uh, Stahanovita movement. But now we have uh, much more information about uh, Stahanovita movement in the in Ukraine. In my question, how it is, was possible to work for? Uh, the state very hard in situation of uh, of of complete catastrophe of Holodomor in Ukraine when million of of people uh, died and uh, it, it was it was an absolutely complete disaster. And if we look at this example uh, more precisely, uh, we will see that at the center of Holodomor was. Uh, Mm, actually, uh, slave labor. What is slave labor? What Stalin actually wanted from uh, from these peasants? Yeah, he wanted from them only one thing: to work in colchoses, in collective farms for free. But for them, it was simply impossible because it meant for them uh, to reject who they experience. And uh, to give uh, to give a name to the government, uh, their land and uh, property and money and everything, uh, what for example they inherited from their parents. And it was a struggle between peasants and government, and government decided to use the famine as a tool uh, to suppress resistance and uh, to make people obey. Uh, and uh, from the point of government, it was it was success. Uh, and uh, how the Holodomor ended up? It ended up when uh, uh, people uh, 
where in in a, in a situation of famine where there was no no way out from from the famine and the only way out of of the famine was to accept uh, uh, the obedience and uh, accept uh, sort of government proposition to work for free in uh, newly created kolkhoz farmers and actually to accept uh, slave labor and uh, when they did it uh, the whole uh, was stopped by the government and uh, we will see that Stahanovite movement was uh, connected to the Holodomor uh, because uh, actually starving people saw that uh, on, on own experience that uh, only the only way out of this uh, of this starvation is to accept the uh, government uh, offer and really to start work in colchoses in collective farms uh, and uh, desire to work and uh, uh, many of Stahanovita's workers were recruited, especially from the Holodomor victims, when they understood that it is the only way out and it is better to work even for free in collecting farms than die. That is the experience was uh, experience of Stahanovita's was um, uh, biologically determined. It, it was only two ways to die or to work uh, for free and work hard in colchoses. And people actually choose the second way because it only it uh, guaranteed them uh, survival. And this example shows us uh, how, um, how uh, Holodomor experience is connected to Something that was previous uh, that was previously uh, seen as absolutely unconnected to to Holodomor as Stahanovite movement, but in my understanding, this uh, example shows us uh, that uh, two phenomena that is uh, famine and starvation from famine and Stahanovite movement, which is uh, and. Uh, not only social phenomenon, but cultural phenomenon. And uh, it was important part of uh, Soviet uh, ideology. This example shows us how is these two, um, two very different phenomena are connected. And they are connected, uh, right, let's say, straightforward. But this is example um, shows us uh, the logic of my research and the connection which I uh, look for uh, in Holodomor experience and uh, in life of uh, Holodomor survivors. One of your contributors writes as follows on page 123. The general atmosphere of fear, the desire of the activists to crush resistance and the struggle for scarce food resources were among the main causes of such unusually intense hatred of and hostility toward their co-villagers. But the hatred of the activists for their victims cannot be explained only by rational motives. After all, both groups belong to the same peasantry and had similar values and identities. What the activists and their victims had in common was that both experienced fight-or-flight practices and lived for several years between the two groups and lived for several years in a state of constant mobilization and heightened metabolic activity. The main difference between the two groups was that the activists were able to express their aggression toward the peasants in the form of sadistic violence, while the latter could not fight back, above all because of their fear of being deported and dispossessed. It is also important to remember that it is it was often difficult to draw an exact boundary between activists and their victims, not least because this line shifted all the time. Activists could easily become victims and die of starvation, which meant that the precariousness of their lives may have also inclined them to violence against people who could one day be their victimizers. Thus, the hatred and sadistic violence of activists is a result of constant and very prolonged 
mobilization of activists themselves and their victims, accompanied by growing aggression of activists and the helplessness-induced anger experienced by their victims. Their encounters caused the excesses of sadistic violence. Can you elaborate on the above? Um, yes, actually, uh, uh, I told about little um, earlier about this case, but uh, if we look uh, at uh, in every genocide, actually, if, at, uh, if we look at uh, experience of perpetrators and experience of victims, we will see that both these groups were very mobilized. Uh, they wanted to survive uh, more than anything else. Yeah, and the fight between them, both of them were in state of mobilization. Uh, and the sadistic uh, arts in this state, it's, uh, it's actually it's, uh, very easy to understand because uh, uh, these people were mobilized, then uh, trying to survive and uh, they do ev everything possible in order to do the more harm to, to both groups. But the problem is that perpetrators uh, have a possibility and uh, have actual power to do it. But victims cannot do it. Yeah, and... Uh, it is it is a problem uh, for pro it is they cannot uh, cannot to do any harm to uh, perpetrators but they remain uh, in in state of uh, uh, mobilization uh, i can uh, say a little about uh, um, sadomasochistic behavior of Voldemort uh, victims you know maybe that uh, about cases of cannibalism during the Holodom war and often if uh, you read about uh, that experience uh, you mm, see that uh, these cannibals behaved very desperately and behaved like in a fashion to do more harm uh, not only to their victims, but uh, victims of cannibals, but to do more harm to society uh, at all and to, to generally to, to all people uh, around, around them. And it is like sadomasochistic activity uh, because they wanted to do harm not only to, to the victim, but to, to the society and uh, to, to the whole field to the whole people uh, around them. And it was their way to get this aggression out of, uh, and, uh, but uh, it was impossible for them to get the aggression to the perpetrators, to the people, to activists who uh, took away the food from them. And instead they uh, did, uh, did harm to, to the different people who were object of uh, the uh, cannibalistic uh, acts. Of course, this cannibalism it was determined by uh, survival, but uh, by uh, biological uh, will of survival. But these feeling feelings and uh, to do more harm to to the society and to other few people uh, as much as possible, it is sort of uh, sadomasochistic uh, behavior. And on the on the contrary, to a sadistic behavior of perpetrators to toward victims, which were absolutely helpless and actually was seen by perpetrators as uh, have that people been in state in state of uh, uh, immobilization, actually uh, one leg uh, in in the burial. What role do fear and anxiety play in this book and memoir? Fear and anxiety, I think that uh, actually feeling of fear, it is, uh, uh, it is a feeling uh, which, uh, which corresponds to state of actual of, of mobilization. Because if we feel fear, 
Uh, it means uh, that you are ready to mobilize yourself and ready to uh, fight back and ready to flee. That is, fear is very helpful for you to, to achieve uh, final survival. But anxiety, mm, uh, anxiety, it is uh, slightly different. Uh, uh, it is actually not, not very helpful in, in, in mobilization. How did the Ukrainian famine impact home and family microeconomics? In what ways is this memoir typical or atypical of other experiences? And typical and atypical experience comparing to other genocide, it is especially uh, because uh, a lot of more victims uh, had this experience of immobilization. It is very different from uh, other genocide because all these people were died being in a state of mobilization, being in state of uh, apathy. And it is absolutely a typical experience uh, comparing to, uh, to other uh, genocide. And uh, what immobilization means? It means that there is no survival, that there is no food, no resources to prolong your own life as possible, and you are actually ready to die. And because of this representation of Holodomor, even now, if you look at the representation of Holodomor, you will see these uh, images of dark images of uh, when there is no survival, there is no way out, and there is silence, complete silence, and no songs, and uh, no, uh, no any loud voices. Uh, Mm, movement, there is no movement, and it is because this feeling and this experience of, of immobilization. It, it is absolutely a typical, uh, not absolutely, but it is more, more distinct, more distinctive, and more vivid in case of Holodomor. And actually, this experience is very vivid in uh, in following representation of Holodomor. And it is very useful, for example, for the case of representing Holodomor if museum exhibition, or better understanding of Holodomor uh, at all, and uh, let's say, yes, I say that for Holodomor exhibition, it is uh, this understanding is very important of how to represent it in the experience and show this actual um, actual uh, show what was really what's going on uh, on the ground during uh, the Holodomor and if you understand this a typical nature of uh, Holodomor experience as a genocide it is possibly uh, better to develop some sort of healing strategy uh, even uh, now in Ukraine uh, during, uh, let's say, the third generation of Holodomor survivors. Who is Anastasia Lisevets? Can you tell us about her? Anastasia Lisevets is the author of a memoir, uh, which is part of uh, the book we are speaking about. Uh, at the time of Holodomor, she was 10 years old, but uh, the book... Uh, she wrote being in uh, in, in her fifties uh, year, and uh, this powerful memoir. Why? Because uh, when speaking about Holodomor, we don't have uh, many uh, many large uh, text, large memoirs. Actually, testimony is very short. And uh, this is a powerful memory with beginning, mid, and uh, the end. And uh, you can find uh, the, everything about Holodomor. So if you want uh, to know more about uh, Holodomor, it is very um, good uh, memory to, to read about it and uh, in order to better understand this event. In what ways are the Holodomor and the Holocaust interconnected? Uh, actually, Holodomor and the Holocaust uh, are rather different. For example, one, one example. Uh, 
uh, Nazis wanted to kill every Jews in the world, and uh, they uh, wanted to destroy all Jewish people, all Jewish nation. Uh, it cannot be say the same about uh, Stalin regime. Can Stalin uh, didn't want to kill every Ukrainian? He decided to kill uh, enough Ukrainians to make uh, them uh, suppressed and uh, uh, to make them uh, obedient. Uh, and it is different. Yeah, but uh, what uh, should I tell? That uh, I am seeing that comparing different genocide, comparing different. Uh, traumas, uh, it is very helpful. But if we compare different uh, genocide, it must be uh, some model uh, for comparing which uh, should we um, have in, in mind when comparing different phenomena. And I think that uh, uh, Holocaust can be such model uh, because simply because most people uh, in the world know about story about Holodomor and know uh, about Holodomor, uh, about Holocaust, sorry, uh, much more. But what is important uh, is that to understand that besides different genocide and besides different traumas can be very different, both of them are very horrific and they are simply different. That is, comparing Holodomor and Holocaust, we can say that they are really different, yes, in, uh, in, uh, in many ways. But both are actually both a genocide, and uh, um, and if the if in comparison between them, uh, prove that both are genocide. What does this book teach us about gender during the Holodomor? In what ways were women impacted differently than men? My approach uh, that it is actually a biological approach, yeah, psychological approach, and. Uh, Mm, I think that men and women are bi biologically different, yes, and I am I'm here quite supportive, for example, to what uh, Jordan Peterson uh, tells, uh, yes, and uh, from this perspective, of course, experience, men's experience and women's experience to the starvation was different, and if we look at this experience, we saw that uh, uh, women were much more resilient to the harsh conditions and much more resilient to the starvation than men's. Uh, mostly I think it is really uh, because of their biological nature and that they are more, more ready to, to counter such harsh uh, condition but at the same time, it was for them much more difficult uh, to deal with uh, this very um, harsh condition because simply they had children. And everyone knows that the uh, connection between mother and, and child is very strong. Um, but uh, this, is, this is really, and it is very well known from uh, genes different genocide studies that women uh, can resist uh, and, uh, um, let's say, much more success successful, and Holodomor uh, history proves it. Common symptoms of post-traumatic post stress disorder, or PTSD, include alteration, amnesia, derealization, depersonalization, dissociation, and immobilization. Can you define and interpret these terms for us? How are they relevant to understanding the memoir presented here? Actually, I'm not, uh, I'm not, using, I'm not using in my research uh, PTSD as the main concept of analysis. Uh, why? Um, because uh, I... Uh, uh, as I told, uh, Holodomor experience it's about not only mobilization but about immobilization. Uh, but uh, PTSD symptoms uh, they are based uh, mostly on the only on mobilization experience. So the, I don't rely very much on PTSD, but uh, 
telling about uh, disaffiliation and uh, depersonalization and immobilization, they are mostly very connected because disaffiliation, it is like a mm, defense mechanism of organism to deal with, uh, with an unbearable, uh, unbearable situation. That is immobilization and dissociation. Dissociation actually, it is it is the same. It is the defense mechanism of organ organism to uh, to detach themselves from from trauma and detach themselves them detach themselves from the experience this unbearable experience of uh, uh, of uh, of situation which around. Uh, uh, this people can you comment on the Minnesota experiment as it is described in your book? What does it teach us about psychology? How is it relevant to understanding the Holodomor? Uh, Minnesota exper experiment experiment uh, was conducted in United States, uh, and it was a very famous experiment about starvation. And actually. Uh, this experiment tells us the same as uh, as Holodomor. That is, uh, it shows us that um, that actual experience of all people uh, who starve very close. But uh, what is different uh, comparing Minnesota starvation experiment and Holodomor? It was. Uh, that uh, people who took part in Minnesota salvation experience always knew that actually everything uh, uh, would be safe with them because they, they are uh, under constant watch of uh, of doctors and uh, in very dangerous situations uh, to, to their life uh, uh, they were. Um, they were safe and uh, seeded again. But in case of World War, it was different because it was fear. The people uh, feared and they knew that uh, uh, many people died uh, already. And uh, starvation uh, uh, together with fear is a very dangerous situation because it is uh, even known from them that actually fasting is very useful uh, for for health and uh, uh, doctors um, uh, advise some people to 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 start from time to time yeah and uh, fasting is a part of religious experience and it can be useful but fasting uh, if you start fasting you shouldn't have any fear because fear and uh, fasting and starvation it is very dangerous combination and in case of Holodomor starvation of course it was accompanied uh, by uh, fear experience and it is different because uh, between Minnesota experiment and the experience of Holodomor. Can you comment on the importance of Pitarim Sorokin's book Hunger as a Factor? How does it help us understand the Holodomor? Mm, it's, it's a great book it was written uh, uh, and based on the experience of uh, uh, starvation in Russia and in Ukraine in 1921, 1923. And it is a sociological book. Uh, in that book, uh, Sorokin uh, uh, studied the sociological consequences of uh, starvation, and he was absolutely right when he wrote that uh, starvation it is something that completely destroys uh, society that destroys the group of uh, uh, groups that destroys uh, everything uh, society which uh, which starts and uh, i think that his uh, his conclusion now absolutely relevant and uh, it can be very helpful in understanding every starvation and every famine, including Holodomor. One of your contributors writes as follows on page 104. 
Immobilization is the most primitive component shared by most vertebrates and inherited by humans from their reptilian ancestors. Reptilians use this system to conserve resources during diving or death feigning. When all other defense strategies fail, immobilization aims at surviving as long as possible by conserving the energy of depleted resources of the body and displaying passive behavior. At the same time, although immobilization is adaptive for reptiles, it may be lethal for mammals. It may contribute to short-term survival, but prolongation or repeated activation of that state has serious implications for health and long-term survival. When, when chronically activated, humans become trapped in the gray limbo of non-existence, where one is neither really living nor actually dying. This most primitive system hijacks all survival efforts. Thus, immobilization is a neurobiologically adaptive and effective response to the danger which cannot be avoided or mitigated. It not only conserves energy, but also enables victims to minimize physical injury and painful suffering by immobilizing and dissociating themselves without fighting back. Bystanders and later interpreters are unaware of the powerful adaptive reaction of immobilization and often judge the victim's freezing response as weakness tantamounts to cowardice. Beneath this critical judgment lies a pervasive fear of being trapped and helpless. It is much easier for bystanders and interpreters to laud the fight-or-flight strategy and treat the people who do not fight or who do not effectively mobilize as if there is something wrong with them. Can you elaborate on the above? Yeah, Can you elaborate my, on this passage? Yeah, uh, my research is, paid, is based uh, on, to a great extent on the work of Peter Purchase. Peter Purchase is American biologist, uh, neurobiologist, uh, author of polyvagal theory. And this theory tells us that uh, uh, there is three defensive mechanisms which uh, uh, human uh, applies being in a state of danger. First of all, it is uh, uh, actually when everything is okay and we can communicate with other people, we in a state of social engagement system. Everything okay, we feel uh, free to speak, uh, uh, we can, uh, we, we, we are normal situation, absolutely. But when danger approaches, every danger, biologically uh, determined our reaction can be only flee uh, the dangerous situation or fight against the aggressor or fight against the danger. And uh, it is it is was very well known uh, before Stephen Porges uh, breaks her walk, but uh, he um, added to this uh, schema uh, additional uh, um, defensive mechanism is which is immobilization, and it is very old mechanism uh, which uh, human being and other mammals. Uh, inherited from our, our reptilian uh, ancestors. And uh, they use it uh, as uh, actually as a survival mechanism. When they don't have any food, uh, they can uh, transform uh, themselves to, to the immobilization and live, uh, and live sometimes almost without resources. It is very helpful uh, for them. Human beings as well can uh, apply this mechanism. And it was used by Holodomor victims, by millions actually of Holodomor victims to survive at least some time. Uh, and uh, millions of Ukrainians died being in this state of apathy and in the, in the state of uh, immobilization. Uh, yep, and it uh, reminds us, well, actually, this uh, experience of uh, reptilian. But the problem is that uh, 
for reptilian, it is very easy to get back to the normal state. But for uh, human beings, it is much more difficult. And uh, Stephen Porges even uh, uh, even uh, make uh, a suggestion that uh, trauma it is uh, something that reminds us and problems with uh getting back from trauma to normal life uh, it is because uh, it is very difficult for human person to come back and to return from the state of immobilization uh, from uh, to to the normal life uh, yes and uh, and in my research i one of my conclusion conclusion that uh, Actually, it was not only one group of Holodomor survivors, but uh, we uh, can speak about two groups. That is, two people, two groups of people of Holodomor survivors. First group, which uh, um, get out from uh, from from famine, from Holodomor, from lack of food, being in a state of mobilization that they actually fought uh, for the existence and uh, uh, not uh, not uh, was not in, in in a state of immobilization and second group of people it was a much more smaller than the first group it is holodomor survivors who uh, who get out of uh, famine being in a state of immobilization and for these people, returning to the normal life was uh, very difficult. Uh, and uh, we even uh, say that it is clearly traumatic um, uh, way of getting out of uh, this experience. That is, in the next uh, life, uh, lives, uh, possibly these people uh, um, had a very... Uh, say, uh, lived very low profile lives very uh, very unnoticed and uh, to the other people and uh, uh, possibly had some psychological problems uh, that is it is very traumatic uh, in terms of for example in terms of PTSD possibly they had uh, some PTSD symptoms as we bring our dialogue today to a close, can you tell us about where your time and attention have gone since completing this book? Actually, uh, this is first part of my book. Uh, now I can say that I uh, understand uh, what was going on with Holodomor victims during during the Holodomor in terms of uh, their bodies and. Uh, in terms of feelings, what uh, the Holodomor victims and survivors felt uh, during the Holodomor. Uh, and my intention now to continue the research and to look at the social level uh, uh, and the next on cultural uh, level. That example of Stahanovite, Stahanovitz uh, exemplifies what I'm going to do next uh, that is to uh, to look for connections between this experience and uh, uh, further representation uh, of this holodomor experience like it uh, uh, was uh, in this case that is uh, a basic notion is slave labor and then we look for expression of this slave labor in next uh, life of Holodomor survivors. And then, for example, we can uh, study the representation of Stahanovita movement. And uh, we know, for example, that many Stahanovitas in uh, in Soviet Union were media, media icons and very uh, was uh, was very famous persons. But actually, to a large extent, it turns out that it experience comes from uh, from Holodomor and from a drive 
uh, of survivors to live. And, uh, I'm going to look for some another cases uh, which helps me to understand better the connection between actual Voldemort experience and uh, following representation of this experience, cultural representation and social representation. As we end our dialogue today, I would like to convey my utmost gratitude to you for the time that we shared together in dialogue and to thank you from the bottom of my heart for this masterpiece of a book. Thank you very for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to take part in you. In the interview. To our listeners, I'm your host today on the New Books in Genocide Studies, Ari Barbalat. Today, I am in dialogue with Vitaly Oyenko. He is a civil servant at the Ukrainian Institute of National Remembrance. He is the editor of the new book, The Holodomor and the Origins of Soviet Man, reading the testimony of Anastasia Blisevets published in Stuttgart by Ibedem Verlag, 2022.